0: Here's another study from Calvary Chapel, Rochester. Beginning with verse 1 and chapter 3, Paul writes this, If then you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ is, sitting at the right hand of God. So, Paul says if. Now, Paul is not saying they may or may not be raised with Christ, like if you're raised with Christ. This if in the Greek is conditional, but it is assumed to be true. Uh, it could mean, as, as well, actually, what it literally means is for as much as. Or, you know, we could take this and we could say, since then you were raised with Christ, seek those things which were above where Christ is sitting at the right hand of God. And so, right away the question comes up, well, when were we raised with Christ? When you and I repented of our sins? When we put our faith in Christ Jesus as our personal Savior? That's when that occurs. And then back in chapter 2, back in verse 12, Paul tells us that our baptism illustrates the reality of that, uh, of that experience, or that, that, of our conversion, I should say. In chapter 2, verse 12, he says, Buried with him in baptism, in which also you were raised with him through faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. When you and I were baptized, we were identifying ourselves with Christ's death and with his burial and resurrection. Just as Jesus died and was buried, we're proclaiming to the world that our old nature has died. That old self, the, the, the old person full of sin and just, he's dead, or she's dead, she's gone, she's in the she's in the grave. That old nature was the life that we once lived when we were governed by the flesh. That's what that old nature is. And just as Jesus rose from the dead to the newness of life, we're again proclaiming to the world that we have a new nature, and that new nature is has come to life in Christ Jesus. And it's and it's that life in Christ that's now, we're no longer governed by the flesh, but we're governed by the Spirit. And so since we are raised with Christ, Paul says we should be seeking those things that are above where Christ is. In other words, we're to desire, we're to aim at, we're to strive at those things that are above. Verse 2, he says, Set your mind on things above, not on the things of this earth. You know, I think with these two verses, Paul is saying, okay, you know, up until then he's been giving some really heavy doctrine and, and he's saying, you know, you were raised with Christ, but now Paul is saying, now that you're a new creation, that, that life, that new creation, that, that should affect how you and I live now. And one of the areas that should be affected is our mind, our thoughts, our affections, our focus, those things that we dwell on, those things that we live for, it should affect how we live as new creatures in Christ. What does Paul mean by seeking those things that are above uh, as opposed to seeking those things that are below or, or setting our minds that are on things that are above? Well, what he's saying is we're to be seeking after or setting our mind on heavenly things versus earthly things. We're to be seeking and setting our minds on spiritual things versus material things, on earthly things versus temporal things, on things that are of the Spirit versus things that are of the flesh. You know, we're told in 1 John 2, Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world is passing away and the lust of it. But he who does the will of God abides forever. Those things of the earth, those things of the flesh, they're temporary, they're passing away. And so we need to be focusing on those things that are that are eternal, those things that are of the Spirit. And then Paul here in verse 3 gives us three reasons, actually verse 3 and 4, three reasons why we're to seek and to set our minds on the things that are above. Verse 3 says, For you died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. The very first reason why we're to be setting our mind on things above is because you're dead. You might say, Well, I don't feel dead right now. Well, you are dead. You're dead to the desires of the flesh, you're dead to the world. Now, when someone's dead, they're unmoved by the things of the world. They're unaffected by the things of the world. You know, you can walk up to a person who's laying there in their casket and you can kick them. You can say all kinds of bad things about them. And you know what? They don't care. They're unaffected by anything around them because they're dead. And that's what Paul says. That's the way you should be. You should be unaffected by the things of the world because you're dead to those things. You're no longer to be governed by your flesh. You're no longer to be governed by the world. So that's the first reason we're dead to the world. The second reason, he says, your life is hidden with Christ in God. Now that brings up some thoughts. What does he mean by hidden? That speaks of some things. Something hidden, first of all, it speaks of secrecy. Something that, it's, it's, it's hidden. It's, it's You don't know about it, or, or others don't know about it. Our spiritual life, is hidden from the natural man. The Bible says they can't discern the things of the Spirit. It's hidden from them. First John 3, 1 John 3.1 says, Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us, that we should be called children of God. Therefore the world does not know us, because it did not know them. Or, excuse me, know him. See, the world thinks you and I are crazy. You know, why do you go to church every Sunday? Why do you give to your church? Why do you support it? financially? Why, why do you pray and read your Bible? Why do you, you know, why do you do all these things? And it doesn't make sense to the world because they are unable to discern spiritual things. But you and I know that life is much more than what is visible. We know that there is a heaven. We know that there is eternal life. Come. We know that these things are just going to pass away. They're going to burn. And so our focus is different. Something hidden also speaks of something of great value, something that's treasured. You know, if you have something of great value, you just don't leave it laying out in the open, right? You you put it away, you kind of tuck it away, and and you hide it, basically, so it doesn't get taken. Jesus said, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and hid, and for joy over it, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. That, that salvation that you have, it's a precious thing. It's a treasure. That Holy Spirit dwelling in you, that's a treasure. Paul says, man, we have this treasure in earthen vessels dwelling inside of us. Something hidden also speaks of protection, safekeeping. Our new life is hidden with Christ. It's locked away and it can't be stolen. It can't be taken away. John 10, Jesus said, My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. And I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. Neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. So when you think of those different reasons or those different aspects of our life being hidden with Christ in God, those three reasons are why we're to set our minds on the things above. And then he gives us the third reason. One day you and I are going to be resurrected to eternal life. One day we're going to step into eternity. All this that we see, all those things that we're experiencing, it's going to be past. It's going to be gone. You know, I, I don't know if you think about when you know what's it going to be like when you and I die. I, you know, I've contemplated that. Of course, you know, thinking about Pastor Chuck Smith, on like, you know, wondering what he's thinking or what's going on. And maybe you've heard that term, you know, Boy, they'd sure roll over in their grave if they saw what was going on. You know, it's like they they really care. I don't think so. I don't think they care at all. I think they are just so blown away by the glory of Jesus Christ and being in His presence that it's just, who cares about any of that other stuff? That's gone. It's That's past. It's over. One day you and I are going to experience that. One day you and I are going to be resurrected To eternal life. Look at verse 4. When Christ, who is our life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Now, I don't know about you, but for me, man, that gives me hope. Peter wrote this in 1 Peter 1 Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who, according to his abundant mercy, has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled that does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you, who are kept, you're kept, by the power of God through faith for the salvation that is revealed, ready to be revealed in the last time. You might be going through a terrible time in your life. Maybe, you know, I'm looking at what's going to be happening with health care. I mean, it's going to affect me personally. I mean, that's it's a real, it's, it's, it's there. It's like it's confronting me. And, and And, you know, we could get really discouraged. We could get really fearful and anxious. But you know what? I have a hope of eternal life, man. One day, it doesn't matter. I'm going to be in heaven with Jesus Christ. All that's going to pass. So it gives us hope. Secondly, it causes us to pursue holiness. Man, Jesus is coming back. 1 John 3.2 says, Beloved, now we are children of God, and it has not yet been revealed what we shall be, but we know that when He is revealed, we shall be like Him, for we shall see Him as He is. And everyone who has this hope in Him purifies himself just as He is pure. Man, Jesus is coming back. I want to be ready. I, want to, I, I don't want to be ashamed when he comes. I don't want to shrink back like, oh, he's here. Oh, I wish he had waited longer. Man, I want to be like ready. <laughs> I'm ready, Lord. Believe it or not, you'll be ready whether you're ready or not ready <laughs> when he comes. It's gonna, that's it, you know. He's not gonna say, can you, you, you know you're not going to say, what, can you give me a couple seconds to repent before, you know, no, you're here. <laughs> that's it. Thirdly, it stresses the importance of being prepared for that day. You know, Paul was writing to the Corinthians. And, you know, they were, of course, they were. Uh, there was a lot of factions in the church in Corinth. They had a lot of disagreements. They had little groups of people that were kind of at war with each other. Christians were suing other Christians. Uh, there was immorality going on. I mean, it was just, they were a bad witness as Christians to the world around them. And Paul, speaking to them in 1 Corinthians 6, verse 2, he says, don't you know, well, he says, do you not know, but this don't you know, that the saints will judge the world? And if the world will be judged by you, are you unworthy to judge the smallest matters? He says, you, you guys are going to be judging the world. In verse 3, he says, do you not know that we shall judge angels? How much more things that pertain to this life? Paul saying, you know, in this next life to come, you're going to be judging angels, you're going to be judging people we're going to be sitting on thrones reigning with Christ. The Bible says we're going to be placed in in places of authority. Paul was stressing to the Corinthians and they better start growing in wisdom and in discernment now because in this in this in this life because they're going to need it in the life to come. I don't know if you think about that. But we have a thousand year reign of Christ coming and then heaven's coming. And you and I we're going to be given Occupation. We're going to be given things to do, and, and and this life really is is preparation for that time. We're to be preparing for that. You know, our capacity, and this is my personal belief, but our capacity to enjoy the millennial kingdom and heaven is going to, and, and to be productive in it, is going to be directly directly related to how you and I prepare for it right now. You know, uh, back when uh, years ago we. Uh, we used to read books with our kids. And I remember we went through the, the Chronicles of Narnia, you know, the C.S. Lewis books. Those are great books. If you've never read them, I'm sure probably most of you have. But we, we read those books with our kids. And then this was long before the movies came out, the big screen movies. But then I think it was BBC or something. It was a British broadcasting thing. They came out with a one or two of the of the books. They, they put it on, on a movie, basically. And uh, I remember, you know, we read those books... And then we then we watch the movie, and I don't know about you, but man, that sure adds depth to a movie when you've read the book first. It just it's like you know you've already got this picture in your mind, and then all of a sudden you're seeing the scenes play. You know what the next thing is going to happen. I mean, it, it just adds so much to it because you've prepared yourself for that experience. I don't know about you. You know, we're going through the Bible. We're going through Colossians right now. We did take a break last week. We did a little topical thing last week. And, uh, you know, on, on Wednesday nights, we're going through Galatians. And on the women's Bible study, you, you women have started the book of Philippians. Let me encourage you, reading, meditating, and praying on those scriptures before a Bible study or before you come to church here. It's going to increase your capacity to be blessed by The time here, the study in God's word. It's going to bless it. It's going to to enhance it. And the same is true for heaven. And the same is true for the millennium. The more you and I practice love, self-sacrifice, wisdom, discernment, you know, all those things, the better you and I are going to be able and the greater capacity we're going to have to enjoy heaven when we're there. Verse 5. So Paul's given them all these reasons. In verse 5 now he says, Therefore, put to death your members which are on the earth, fornication, uncleanness, passions, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. What does he mean by members? A couple other translations. It says, put to death, uh, therefore, what is earthly in you. Put to death what is earthly in you. Another translation says, Therefore, put to death what belongs to your worldly nature. Those things that are of the flesh. And then he lists them here. Fornication. Fornication, the word pornea, it's basically sexual sin in all of its forms. He says, put that away from you. Put it to death. Uncleanness, passion, evil desire. Those are our sinful natural evil lustings and the passions of our flesh, for things that we shouldn't be lusting after, for the things that we shouldn't have passion for. He says, put that to death. And he says, and covetousness, which is idolatry. Covetous here is an immoderate. In other words, moderation, you know, everything in moderation. Well, this is an immoderate uh, love of money. An insatiable desire of having more, and of having more than what you, what you already have. It's like, i got to have more, i got to have more. Always striving for more, an insatiable desire. We would call that greediness. Having more than what you really need. Being greedy for more. Paul tells us here that that kind of love of money is idolatry. Clark's commentary says this, The covetous man seeks that in his money, which God alone can give. Therefore, his covetousness is properly idolatry. Seeking for things that, that, you know, you're seeking things from money that only you can receive from God, you can't receive from money. Jesus said, where your treasure is, there your heart will also be, or there your heart will be also. Man, if your treasure is your bank accounts, your investments, your heart is going to be seeking after those things. It's going to become your focus, and eventually it'll become your worship. If you're trusting in your wealth, if you're trusting in your finances, you're not trusting in the Lord. If you're saying, you know, if you're just that's your focus, and you know, I'm I'm just creating this nest egg and I'm gonna, I'm gonna have it, you know, I'm, I'm gonna take care of everything, and then I'll be all right. Jesus told a parable about a guy that did that in the New Testament. You know, he was a farmer and he was doing pretty good. And he, and he and he filled his his barn full. He said, "Man, I got to build a bigger barn. I got to build some silos." And he and he just expanded and 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 he filled all those up. And he goes, "Man, now I now I can be at ease." And the Bible said, "You fool! Tonight your soul's required of you." And so if we're trusting on in any of that stuff, our wealth, our riches. You're not trusting in God to meet your needs. And that's idolatry because you're putting something else ahead of God. Jesus said you cannot serve God and mammon. And that word mammon means our riches or our wealth. You can't serve both. You're going to love one or you're going to love the other. Paul tells us why we should put these things to death. Verse 6. Because of these things, the wrath of God is coming upon the sons of disobedience, in which you also once walked when you lived in them. God is going to judge those who practice these things. And Paul tells us, man, you used to be under that same condemnation, but you're no longer. Verse 8, But now you yourselves are to put off all these anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy language out of your mouth. That word "put off" means to cast off or to lay aside, um, and and the idea is like you've got this old stinky, worn out piece of clothes. Now I've been painting my house three weeks in a row, and and I'm done finally. Actually, I got one little strip I got to do, but I'm pretty much done. And and uh, you know, every couple of days, man, I, it's like, woo! I got to take that shirt and those shorts, and I'm washing them. You know, and I got they looked like they still looked dirty because they had paint all over them, but they were clean. They didn't stink. But if I had gone three weeks in a row with that same, you know, I mean, it'd be like you wouldn't want to be near me because of that stuff. It'd be like, get that off, you know. That's the idea. It's like casting away that dirty, rotten, stinking, worn-out clothes. The King James Version says, but now ye also put off these. And the implication is that not only what he mentioned in verse 5 above were to put off but also these here in verse 8 it's not one or the other it's all of this stuff and so he enumerates more here anger the word anger here it means lasting resentment desiring vengeance and what happens is it results in bitterness towards someone when you have that festering anger that festering unforgiveness that 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 vengeance you know i want to you, you just that person's just really on your mind and you can't get them off and you're just, you know, you're resenting them. That, that's, that results in bitterness. He says, put that away. Wrath. That means, the word literally means boiling over and and it's really what you're talking about is an outburst of uncontrolled anger. It's like going into a rage, you know. Malice. Malice is having ill will towards some someone, hoping something bad happens to them. That's malice. Blasphemy. Now, blasphemy means speaking against God, but it also can mean speaking ill of others, slandering them. The context here seems to be speaking ill of others, although both of those are sin, obviously. And then filthy language, which basically it boils down to foul and obscene speech. And then Paul writes in verse 9, Do not lie to one another. And we read that and we go, okay, we're not to tell lies okay I, I, I get that okay we're not to be outright liars that word here it's a little bit interesting here the word is pseudomai and i don't know if you heard the pseudomai that root word pseudo pseudo is kind of like something that's kind of fake or it's you know it's not the real thing and pseudomai means not real or genuine and so what paul is saying is don't be fake in your words. Don't be, you know, what we should be, I'll give it a positive here, is be genuine genuine in your words. Be real. Pseudomai means being deceptive. You know, it's not like you're outright lying, but you're kind of speaking half a truth, or you're only giving part of the, inf- that's it's still lying. Not being real with another, with one another. An example would be feigning love while having that resentment towards a person. But, you know, on the surface, you smile at them. while you know, your teeth are kind of gritted, but you're like, oh, nice to see you. I wish you would die. You know, it's a, that's that kind of attitude. I'm glad none of you grit your teeth when you smile at me. <laughs> oh, someone's going to be here just playing with me right now, gritting. <laughs> so we're to put to death all these things, all these things that belong to our old nature, and we're to cast them away We're to cast away that sinful ways that we treat one another. Verse 9, he says, Since you have put off the old man with his deeds, and have put on the new man, who is renewed in knowledge according to the image of him who created him. So we're to put off like an old garment our old man or our old nature, that nature that was governed by our flesh, and we're to put on, kind of like a brand new set of clothes, the new man. Or the new nature, he says, who is renewed in knowledge according to the image of Him who created Him, verse 11, where there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcised nor uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, uh, slave nor free, but Christ is all and in all. You know, with our new nature, old walls of division and separation, man, they're torn down by the cross. You know, you Look around this room. You know, we've got people from all different backgrounds, different, you know, things that we do and stuff, and yet we're all here, one, under the cross of Christ. We've been brought back, we've been brought together here. Those divisions, those separations, man, they just disappear at the cross. Notice Paul says about our new nature, he says it's being renewed. That means it's in the process of continuous renewal. That renewal process, you know, you and I get to participate in that renewal process. You and I get to participate each and every day. Paul wrote in Romans twelve two: Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Man, we're to be transformed in our minds. Ephesians 4.22, Paul writes this, Put off concerning your former conduct the old man, which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lusts, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind, that you put on the new man, which is created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. Notice he always talks about the mind, renewing the mind, transforming the mind, renewing the mind. Why does he talk about that? The reason why is because that renewal, it has to start from the inside and work its way out. Too often we want to kind of work on the outside and hope that eventually it will work its way in. You know, if I just do everything on the outside, good, you know, eventually, that's not going to work. It has to start on the inside and work its way out. How do we renew our minds? I bet you every woman in here who's who's attending the woman's Bible study knows the answer to this, and I won't put anyone on the spot, but it's in Philippians Chapter four verse eight Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report. If there is any virtue, and if there is anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. Dwell on those things. Don't dwell on the negative. Don't dwell on what he or she's not doing or how they've you know they've they've hurt your feelings, whatever. Dwell on the positive things. Paul has told us what to put off. And now in verse 12, he's going to tell us what to put on. Therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, put on tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering, bearing with one another, and forgiving one another, if anyone has a complaint against another. Even as Christ forgave you, so you also must do. Remember putting off school? Putting off was like taking that old stinky, rotten garment off. Well, putting on, in a sense, is putting on new clothes. So Paul doesn't just say, "Hey, just get rid of that old clothes," and then he leaves you hanging there. It's like, well, "Okay, now what do I do?" No, he says, "Take off that old clothes, put on the new clothes." I remember one time uh, I went from uh, we were living here in Minnesota. This was years ago, and we we moved here in 1990. We were here for three years. And then I got a job offer with IBM to go back to San Jose, and uh, they took they they sent me out on an interview trip, and uh, you know I'm going on this interview trip. They put us up in this really even though my parents lived in Rochester or in, in California in San Jose, they put us up in this really fancy hotel, and uh, I had this little like uh, you know a little spending account and stuff, and it was like man I'm going to take advantage of it. And we put on, we got some new clothes. And I remember going there and we'd rent a car and come up, pick up my parents, hey, let's go to dinner, you know. And uh, it was kind of fun. And and but the thing is I, I put on this new clothes and I, I felt like a million bucks, you know. Have you ever felt that when you put on new clothes? You just it makes you feel good. A new wardrobe, it's like, ooh, I'm a new person. It's that new feeling you get. That word put on means it gives a sense of sinking into a garment, kind of like slipping into something. And it's amazing how slipping into some new clothes will make a person feel like a different person. You know, some of the best actors and actresses in Hollywood, some of the ones that that win all the Academy Awards or Oscars, whatever it is that they win, um, they sink so well into their roles they put on the character that they're that they're trying to portray, that they, they just it's like they become inseparable from who they're portraying. It, it's amazing. They study their characters day and night and they literally invest themselves into the role they play. Now, I didn't see the movie Lincoln. Anybody see the movie Lincoln? Okay, one person. Wow. Okay. Well, this, maybe this will be news to you. Uh, Daniel Day-Lewis was the, uh, the actor who played Lincoln. It says, in order to get into his 19th century role in the Steven Spielberg biopic, Lincoln, Daniel Day-Lewis allegedly spent a full year reading and thinking about the president, sent text messages to his castmates as the commander-in-chief. Well, of course, I'd like to do that anyways, right? Um, or simply A., and shunned all discussion of current events while on the set. I mean, this guy was like, he was becoming Abe Lincoln, basically. And so every he just sunk into that. Uh, Sally Fields, who plays Mary Todd Lincoln. Oh, by the way, maybe you didn't know this, but Luke is actually related to Mary Todd Lincoln through Teresa. Maybe you didn't even know that. I don't know if you knew that, but my wife is related to Mary Todd Lincoln. Anyways, okay, we'll sign autographs later, but... Uh, no. <laughs> Sally Fields, who plays Mary Todd Lincoln, also did an impressive amount of research. She read five biographies and visited the former First Lady's home, as well as several private collections of Lincoln memorabilia. She also reportedly gained 25 pounds for the role. That's dedication. That's really sinking into your role, right? I'm going to become like Mary Todd Lincoln. I was looking at different actors, and I don't want to bring up some of the movies because they're not necessarily good movies. But like Robert De Niro, for he played Raging Bull, and the uh, Jake LaMotta—I think that was his name, right? Jake LaMotta. Some of you guys know uh, the boxer. He played that role, and, and during that role, part of the part of the movie showed Jake at an at an at a, at an older age. And so they're filming uh, Robert De Niro as the as the Raging Bull. You know, this young boxer, and then they they. They go later on to where he's later on in life. Uh, Robert De Niro, they stopped filming for about four months, and he basically stuffed his face, and he put on 60 pounds so that he could portray this older Jake LaMotta. Uh, talk about sinking into a role. I mean, you're, you're basically becoming... And then they, they he trained with them and spent time with them. And these actors and actresses, they do that. They immerse themselves or sink themselves into their roles. You and I, in order for you and I to become like Jesus Christ, we need to sink into his role. We need to put on his qualities, tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering, bearing with one another, forgiving one another, we're to put on those characteristics. We're to, we're to sink into the role of Jesus Christ. Now, of course, we're not Jesus Christ. We're not pretending we're Jesus Christ. But we're to identify so much with Him, like these actors and actresses did, that they just absorb themselves into their roles. And you and I, were to be ambassadors for Christ. We're to sink ourselves into those roles. Verse 14, "...but above all these things put on love, which is the bond of perfection." What he says there, what he means there, love is the uniting principle of completion. I mean, it just caps everything off. It sums everything up. You can't do it without love, basically. But, you know, we're not just talking about choosing to be more humble like Jesus. Well, Jesus is really humble, so I'm gonna I'm just going to start being more humble. Or uh, Jesus is, you know, more forgiving, so I'm going to be more forgiving. It, it's not a, I'm just going to choose to do those things. You and I are actually putting on Jesus Christ. The Bible says that. Paul wrote in Galatians 3.27, For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. You've sunk into the role. Romans 13.14, But put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to fulfill its lusts. Now don't start texting and saying Jesus, you know, because that's going to freak me out. If you send me a text and says, it's not, you know, hope you're having a good day, Jesus. I'm going to go, wow. <laughs> I didn't know he had a cell phone. Um, I mean, you know, we could get crazy with that. But seriously, you and I are to sink into the character of Jesus Christ. You know, each of these characters, or excuse me, each of these qualities, I should say, Tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering, bearing with one another, forgiving one another. That really describes Jesus, doesn't it? I mean, Jesus forgave those who sinned against him. Jesus was patient. You know, he was meek. He was humble. He was kind. He was merciful. It's just basically describing Jesus, putting on Jesus. But, you know, we can't do it apart from his spirit dwelling in us. It's not going to be, okay, I'm just going to become, you know, I'm going to start talking like Jesus, or I'm going to start walking like, you know, it's not that you can't do it apart from the Holy Spirit dwelling in you and filling you. That's why this Wednesday, it's, it's kind of cool how this all fits together, but this Wednesday night, we're actually going to be discussing this in depth, practical. How do you do that? How, what does it look like in our lives? How do we maintain a walk with the Holy Spirit? We'll be looking at that Wednesday night. It's a little plug for Wednesday night's Bible study, by the way. Verse 15, And let the peace of God uh, rule in your hearts, to which also you were called in one body, and be thankful. Now, the peace of God, when in context here, Paul seems to be speaking of the peace that exists between individuals. Being in harmony with one another, being in concord with one another. Paul says, let that peace of God rule in your heart. And that word rule, it basically means to govern, kind of like, an, like a, a govern, excuse me, like an umpire. You know, you're, you're kind of just, you're deciding, you know, was that a foul or was that, a, you know, fair or whatever. It's basically making decisions. And Paul's basically saying how you interact with one another, let that peace, let the peace be the umpire. Man, I want to pursue peace, right? Paul wrote in uh, Romans 14, Verse 19, therefore let us pursue the things which make for peace and the things by which one may edify another. You're in a situation, you've got to make a choice. You can be offended, you can be angry, you know, whatever it is. You go, what's the peaceful? What's the peaceful route? I'm going to go that route. I'm going to pursue peace in this situation. And and that should be governing our hearts. And he says, and be thankful. And it literally means keep on becoming thankful thankful. In other words, we're to grow in thankfulness. You know, if you want to grow in joy and have more peace in your heart and and just to become a more thankful person, this may sound really cliche, but all you need to do is count your blessings. Seriously. and And just like the song says, name them one by one. You want to have joy back in your life. Maybe you're bummed out about things are going on. You're, you're, you're depressed or you're angry or whatever. You want to change that. And I'm sick of feeling the way I'm feeling. Then start counting your blessings. Start thanking the Lord for what He has given you and how He has blessed you. And as you enumerate them, just like, thank you for your blessings, Lord. No, 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 really. What are you thankful for? Man, thank you for, for my health. Man, thank you for my wife, for my husband man, I thank you for my job. I thank you that you've blessed us with, you know, whatever, fill in the blank. And as you enumerate those things, man, I tell you, you are going to be filled with joy. You're going to be a different person. You're going to be a different person to be around too, (laughs) seriously. Verse 16, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. Basically what he's saying is be so full of the word of God that it manifests itself. I mean it just comes out of you, it oozes out of your pores basically. It manifests itself in the wisdom you exercise. You know, you know what you know what the Bible says and so that's how you make wise choices because I know that this is what the Bible says. Let it let it rule, let it, let it affect how you exercise your wisdom. Let it affect how you teach and admonish one another. Well, you know, this is what I think you should... No, no, no. What does the Bible say? Well, you know, the Bible says this. You know, you're know, you you just you're in the Word so much that it just comes out. You just can't keep it in. It affects everything. And also in your spontaneous worship of the Lord. I, I love that, man. You know, it's got these different things. Hymns, psalms, hymns, spiritual songs, singing with grace and hearts to your Lord. Man, that's just spontaneous worship. It just flows from your heart. And I love it when we do worship here in Calvary Chapel. That's just scripture. A lot of these songs, I don't know if you realize it, but a lot of these songs are just scripture, basically. We're singing scripture. I know there's uh, some, uh, back in the day they were cassettes, but I'm sure there are CDs now. There's a Integrity Worship, you know. I'm not doing a plug for Integrity Worship, but they have scripture songs that are, you know, they're they're put together to music pretty good. And, and I, I love listening to that stuff because it just it keeps the Word of God in you. And it's amazing how... It's easier to remember something when it's done to a song than you know just trying to memorize it word by word out of the Bible. When it's, when there's to music, for some reason, it just clicks. And uh, But Paul is basically saying, let the Word of God dwell in you richly. Don't just let it dwell in you, but let it, do, let it just saturate your soul. Because it will flow out of you. Verse 17, And whatever you do, in word or deed, Do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. Whatever we do in word, in other words, whatever we say, any word that comes out of our mouth, whatever we do in deed, in other words, whatever action we take, so whatever we say, whatever word, just the, 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 the smallest word, whatever word comes out of our mouth, whatever action, big or small, whatever action we take, whatever, and that means all. That means everything. Everything you and I say or do, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus. What does that mean? That every, every third word you say in Jesus' name. <laughs> I love you in Jesus' name. <laughs> you know? No, that's not what he means. To say something or to do something in the name of the Lord Jesus means under the authority of Jesus. In other words, you're submitted to Jesus in anything you say and anything you do and in the character of Jesus. Now, this, is, this is what Christ would do. That's what I'm going to do. This is what Christ would say. This is what I'm going to say. Let that in everything be submitted under the Lordship of Jesus. Everything we say and everything we do. If we did... Everything, like Paul says here, according to the character of Jesus, if we were thankful in everything, your life, my life, would be so full of peace and joy. And we would be such a blessing to be around that we'd be contagious. People go, man, I don't know what you're on or what you got, but man, I want it because man you're just contagious i love i don't know if you've ever been around joyful people they're fun to be around i mean they're a blessing to be around conversely people that are down in the mouth and people that are you know uh, you know they're not that fun to be around how's your day uh, you know what's the lord done in your life well, i don't know <laughs> you know it's like okay well that was fun <laughs> but when you and i are submitted unto the lordship of christ and we're Doing everything in the character of Jesus, and we're thankful. Man, people are going to want to hang out with you. Man, I want to be around that person. I've been—you know—there have been Christians in my life that you know they're the kind of there. There have been people, and I can probably list them off by name, but I'm not going to. But you know, in my—you know—I was going to say career, but it's not a career. In my life as a Christian, I, I look back at different Christians that have crossed my path or that had some kind of influence in my life. And of course, you know you, people move and things happen and lives change and so they're not around me anymore, but it's like, man, I, I can think back to those people I go man, I just wanted to hang out with them because they were just it just it picked me up to be around them it encouraged me to be around them and I want to be like that for you guys and I'm sure you all want to be that for each other and we should be that for each other. this is the way to do it. We're going to stop here because we're going to pick this whole other section here uh, about husbands, wives, and children, and parents. We're going to pick that all off on on its own separate topic here. But this morning, we're going to be celebrating the Lord's Supper. And I think before that, what I'd really like us to do is just pray. Just reflect on what we've read here, and, and let's just seek the Lord and ask Him to cause that change in us. Lord, Lord, we want to put to death those things. We, we want our focus to be back, switch back to you, Lord God. We want to seek what's above and not what's here and now, what's up below and what's of our flesh.